Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Today, we're going to go through um, really two verses. And um, last week, um, Matthew Freaker started um, incredibly just going through four verses of Scripture. And these Scriptures are pretty thick. And um, these are four um, verses in the Bible where you look at that, you tilt your head and you say, nah, I'm just going to read past that. Uh, does anyone ever do that with some verses in Scripture, in the Bible? Yeah, you say, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just going to skip that and I'm going to go to my favourite bit. <laughs> um, but, um, the, the, these are actually um, pretty significant in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, what's going to happen is that in the next two months, um, we're going to go into a portion of Scripture that Jesus is going to be speaking on, and it's actually going to um, cause and bring about a renovation of our heart. Um, so the next two months are going to be really significant for us, and I know God's going to be um, shaping us and actually bringing some things to the surface and um, because He loves us. Um, so that is going to be fantastic. But these kind of four verses, they kind of, um, um, so, kind of set that up, and I want us to show... Um, show us how that works, so um, we'll, we'll see how we go. And the title of today's message is, It's Always Been About the Heart. It's Always Been About the Heart. And um, we're going to see that that is precisely what Jesus is talking about today. I wonder if you've ever taken something apart. Um, I've learned not to do that now, but you've ever taken something apart with the intent of actually putting it back together and you um, taking things apart is very easy, Right? I can do that pretty well. Putting it back together, that's the hard bit, right? So you put it back together and you think you've got it all together. You think you remembered how you took it apart. You put it back together and you look over the side and there's actually a couple of bits that are left over. Have you ever kind of seen that? And you kind of look at it and say, nah, they're probably not important anyway, so um, I'll just like carry on. Only to find out that those little bits or that little screw that was left over there, they are the things that held the whole thing together. Well, these are the four verses um, that we're going to be looking at. You look at them and say, nah, you know what, uh, let's just leave that to the side. But these are actually the doorway. These verses are the doorway that opens up the body of the Sermon on the Mount. And as we've been learning so far, these are uh, the collection, the, the catalogue of Jesus' teaching. So if you want to know what Jesus is about, what he's doing, these are the ones you kind of, um, the Sermon on the Mount is what you want to be studying. And that's what we began to do. And like I said, um, Matthew Fricker started this, so I, I, I really, um, I was going to say, I beg you. Maybe I should beg I beg you, go and listen to the message. Um, but these four verses are thick, thick. Um, so, um, and Matt, his own admission said he was only going to get through the first two. So I'm going to do the next two. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Um, I'm going to get a little bit of help to do a bit of a recap, um, because we're not going to preach two sermons um, Today, you'll be happy to know. And then we're going to open up verses 19 and 20. So from verse 17 says this, Jesus says this. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Can anyone understand why you would just kind of just leap over that and go to the next? It's like, what in the world are you talking about? There is like part, p- p- parts and portions of the scripture that just do not resonate with us. They're like, they sound weird, right? Law, Pharisees, like prophets, like, it just seems like weird. So what we're going to do, we're actually going to go through this and hopefully it'll actually um, open up the door for what's going to come in the next couple of weeks. Um, but just as a bit of a recap, the thing which I kind of was struggling with for a long time is like Jesus saying, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not, oh, do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have, come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I'm thinking, Jesus, like, what in the world are you talking about? What does that have to do with me living in Australia? So um, as I often do when things are just too complicated for me, I get people who are much smarter than me. So we've got a video from our good mates. Well, they may not even know who we are, but our good mates um, from the Bible Project. And it's going, to, it's going to give a bit of a recap and some understanding of that verse, what Jesus meant when he says he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So how about you look at this and then we can kick on from there. with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion. And you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. 
Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. Cool. Well, should we go have morning tea? Are we all done? Did that make sense? In essence, these four verses is about this, that the human, the human issue is a heart issue. And um, when you don't recognize and realize that the issue is actually the issue of the heart, you will actually try to do some external things. Um, and um, basically, that's what um, Jesus goes on to talk about. So this idea that Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, the reason why, obviously, he is saying this is because there were people, there were Pharisees, there were scribes that are actually going around and saying, the things that you are demonstrating, the things that you are teaching, they are actually against the law. And if you are going against the law, that's an abolition of the law. So Jesus is being accused of abolishing the law. And as we're going to find as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, the ironic thing, the twist in the story is, these people who are accusing Jesus of abolishing the law, they, by their actions and by the way that they go about things, they are the ones who are actually abolishing the the law and Jesus is actually interpreting it right, upholding it um, and moving forward. So that's um, kind of where we're going. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Don Carson defines that word fulfill as, as um, articulated there in Matthew as this kind of idea of um, to that to which the other party pointed. So the law and the prophets, as they're um, painting this picture, as they're teaching, as they're um, pointing like this signpost in this direction, Don Carson would say, when Jesus is saying, I'm the fulfillment of the law, he's saying, I am the, 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 everything that the um, prophets and the law is pointing to, I am that. That is who I am. 
Um, and this goes on to be the main body of um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, over the last um, couple of months, we've come pretty familiar with this um, technique that Matthew uses over and over again in his gospel, this word called an inclusio. Remember that word, an inclusio. An inclusio is like a bracket. You have two brackets and there is content within. And the purpose and the function of the inclusio or the brackets is actually to bring definition, meaning and clarity to everything that is within um, those brackets. And it might interest all of us to know that when we come to the main body of Jesus' teaching, guess what? We've got another inclusio, um, which is going to be really important for us to see. So the inclusio is this. I'm just going to read the two brackets. The first one we've just read, Matthew 5 verse 17, um, is the first bracket which says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And the bracket is actually those words, law and prophets, law and prophets. The other bracket on the other end, the other bookend, is found in Matthew 7 verse 12. We'll get there later on in the year. But Matthew 7 verse 12, and remember, these are brackets. So everything in between these brackets, this content, is actually being made clear and defined by these brackets. So Matthew 7 verse 12 says this, So in everything, do to others what you have uh, what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Wouldn't it be like, cool if we could just do that? Like, Jesus comes to fulfill the law and prophets, which is a big deal, right? And in order to um, fulfill the law and the prophets, everything that sums up the law and the prophets is basically this, to love others the same way and treat others the same way you'd like to be treated. Imagine if we could do that. Has anyone succeeded in that? Right? I mean, that sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so simple. But the problem is, as um, that video showed, the issue is, the reason why we cannot actually do something that sounds so simple is because we've got this human heart. And a human heart is full of all kinds of nasty, nasty stuff. I mean, the longer I walk with the Lord, the long, I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for well over 20 years now. Uh, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I, I search Scripture, the more I'm before Him, the more that He works on my heart, the more I realize I've got so much further to go. It's almost like I thought this heart had some issues. Turns out this heart has some real issues. You know, I have no idea why. Like, it's simple. Like, it was the other Sunday, right? The other Sunday, I kid you not, I'm like praying, getting ready to preach the Word of God on a Sunday at church, and I'm driving around Armadale, and I'm driving around Armadale, I'm in my car, and like I'm just driving, and about I'm coming at a roundabout, and I'm doing a um, a left turn, right? So I've right away I can turn left way, and there's this guy with dreadlocks with his daughter, and he steps out onto the road. He didn't see me, right? And I would have thought you made a mistake, dude. Say sorry. No, man. There were F-bombs going left, right, and center. There was, like, there was a like, fist. And I'm thinking, I should get out of this car and make you cry in front of your... <laughs> and I'm a senior pastor getting ready to... <laughs> this heart got some issues. <laughs> we got some... Isn't that nice to know your senior pastor got some issues? Anyone else have some issues? It's always been a heart issue. It's the issue of the heart. Jeremiah 31, verse um, 31 to 34. We love this. This is one of our go-to passages as Christians. 
Um, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my instruction deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbours, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Isn't that an incredible passage of Scripture? Isn't that beautiful? Imagine that. Something's been broken absolutely dismantled, and yet God says the day is coming when I'm going to make a new covenant and that thing which is broken is going to be done away with and there's going to be a brand new covenant and this new covenant is going to go deep into the hearts of my people. Imagine that kind of day. Wouldn't that be incredible? What a fantastic day, right? Isn't it amazing to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that day? So we actually live in that day right now, but we still have issues of our heart. Sky Jathani in his um, book, What If Jesus Was Serious? I know there's been a fair few people in our church who've been going through this, uh, this book. He actually, wrote, uh, he actually um, doodled um, this drawing in light of what we're kind of reading. You ever meet some Christians like see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, do no evil? But the thing that Jesus is actually talking about, he's not talking about this external front. He's actually talking about, and what God's law is actually talking about, there needs to be a transformation that we actually have something happening on the inside of our heart that there is actually a desire to do the laws of God, the will of God. There's actually a desire inside of us that goes deep that we would actually live a life that is holy and pleasing unto God. There is something of God that he wants in Dave Ryder that as he is driving and as someone is cussing him on the streets of Armadale and Flipping the bird, he does not want his son Dave Ryder to want to get out of the car and actually smash this punk. And you know what I'm saying? I just feel like I just need to be vulnerable and real with us today. And like I said, from next week, we're going to go into a portion of the Sermon on the Mount where it is going to be a renovation of the heart. The renovation of the heart. Jesus said, Don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And with this fulfilling, there has now been an opening of a brand new world that Jesus has been teaching about and what Jesus has been demonstrating is called the kingdom of heaven. That is the significance. When Jesus says, I have not abolished that, I have now fulfilled that, in that fulfilling there has been an opening which is now open. There has been an opening that has happened. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And you can actually already see some of the residents of that kingdom because they embody certain values. They embody certain uh, postures and virtues and if you become very acquainted with the Beatitudes as we did for two months you will actually be able to recognize who these residents who these citizens of the kingdom of heaven are like because they are those who are poor in spirit they are those who mourn they are those who are meek they are those who who hunger and thirst for God's justice they have a purity of heart they are merciful they are the ones who, who actually have no problem stooping down to actually help those who are in pitiful situations and actually to raise them up they are those who are peacemakers they have no problem 
stepping into conflict and saying, by me standing in the midst of these two warring parties, I am praying and I am hoping and I am believing and I am working that peace will come. These kind of people are the citizens of this brand new world which has been opened, the kingdom of heaven, which is actually happening right now. Jesus is saying that with his life, death, resurrection, ascension, exaltation, and his teaching, everything that the law and prophets, what they anticipated, what they predicted, what it, what it preliminarily taught, everything is fulfilled in him. In other words, with the coming of Jesus, nothing in history will ever be the same again. And the implications of this is radical for us because we are now to live in such a way that fulfills the law of God and doesn't abolish it and Jesus actually says in his teachings and in his life, the way that you're actually going to fulfill the law is simply by obeying and following me. Because as we follow and obey Jesus, we are literally following and obeying the Torah. And um, that has huge implications for us. Because what happens when we actually follow Jesus' teaching and we obey Jesus' teaching is what Tom Wright calls this covenantal behavior or maybe more um, appropriately family behavior. Family behaviour happens. You know, in a writer house, there's certain family behaviour, there's certain behaviour that's not tolerated. It doesn't happen because we actually have this culture in a writer house that there are certain things of behaviour that we want to embody. The amount of times I talked to Jackson and Kayla and said, no, 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 the writers are generous. We're generous. We're generous. We're forgiving. There are certain covenantal or family behaviours well, when it comes to actually following Jesus and um, obeying Jesus, what happens is that there is a shift and there is a shape in us as the family of God, and we start to live out these family behaviours in a similar way that what the law was supposed to do. Because the purpose of the law, when Moses gave it, okay, the purpose of the law was to shape God's people in such a way that the surrounding nations would look upon Israel and they would see, ah, oh, that's what God's like. That's what covenantal behaviour is. That's what family behaviour is. So as the family of God comes together and we embody certain behaviour, it should actually be a demonstration to everyone around us. They look at the church, like, like think about this, they look at the church and they stand back in awe and wonder and go, ah, oh, that's what God's like. How do you think we've been going in that in the last 2,000 years? We've got a lot of work to do, haven't we? We've got a lot of work to do. The transformation needs to go beyond external stuff. And we're going to kick into that from next week. It needs to reach the heart. Because the heart has always been the issue. And... Um, so um, as we move on today, like I was saying, like, these are the four verses that seem odd, they seem boring, but I want to actually at the very least show you how they work in the Sermon on the Mount. So the two verses are this, verse 19 and 20. I'm going to read these, but let me just say, verse 19 points to the remainder of chapter 5. Verse 20 so, so verse 19 is almost like an introduction, almost like a topic sentence for the remainder of chapter 5. Verse 20 is an introduction, almost like a topic sentence for a good portion of chapter 6. That's how it works. 
So you're going to see as Jesus talks about these two verses, he's going to point to something specific that we're going to kick into for the rest of chapter 5. And in um, verse 20, he's just letting everyone know he's about to go after the Pharisees and the scribes like nothing else. You know, it's almost like Jesus, he's rolling up his like robes and that's pretty hard when you don't have elastic, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, that was a bad joke, wasn't it? Verse 19 says this, Therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to start with verse 20. Let's talk about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Um, What he ends with in verse 20. So what Jesus is going to be doing from chapter 6, he is going to be dismantling the Pharisaic project of righteousness. He is going to go head to head and dismantle bit by bit in a really confronting, almost like um, audacious way, the Pharisaic project of righteousness. Now understand the Pharisees, they knew that stuff wasn't right in the nation of Israel. And like what we've been saying throughout this entire series, um, they knew it because they were still being dominated by the Romans, right? Um, God's presence, his glory had not come back to the temple. And in their understanding, in their mind, they, they, they knew like if God hasn't returned to his temple and if we're still being dominated by yet another empire, this time the Romans, this must mean that we're in sin. So it made sense to them in order for God to come back or in, in, in order to speed up the return of God, that must mean we just need to live more righteously. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? If it's actually us living in sin that's causing a delay of God coming back, well, maybe if we actually start doing things right, God will come back sooner. Makes sense. So I think as they're thinking, that kind of makes sense. The problem is they actually go to the levels of not just looking at themselves but looking at everyone in the nation and start manipulating, start coercing and even starting using violence to actually force people to adhere to the laws of God. And not just the laws of God, they wanted to make sure that a law wasn't broken. So what they did, it's almost like, imagine you have a law here and you're trying to keep people away from actually breaking this law. So what they actually did, they actually started building fences in front of the laws. You know, So it almost came out, it's not about the law, it's actually about these fences. Don't break that fence and don't break that fence and don't break that fence. And, and it's actually the law that God gave, the fences are not what God gave. And, and this actually started this cycle of manipulation and, co, um, um, and just being coercive. And, but what it looked like from the, out, the, the front, it actually looked like these, the group of the Pharisees and the scribes, it actually looked like they were very, very righteous because they were upholding the law. They were doing everything right. They made sure they washed their hands appropriately. They made sure they ate things appropriately. They were doing it absolutely right because, and everyone saw this the piety and, and just sort of saw them like, you guys are so religious. You were just doing like people understood that. So from the outside, it looked like that. What's interesting to know is that um, there were three main external expressions of this Pharisaic righteousness project. Okay, And after I tell you these three main righteousness expressions and I show you in chapter 6 what Jesus is doing, you're going to have a bit of a chuckle to yourself. Because Jesus, man, he's just going to town. 
So the three main external expressions of this righteousness project that the Pharisees were um, forcing people to do, the first one was prayer, the second one was fasting, and the third one was giving alms or giving to the poor. And for a large part of the Pharisees, that giving to the poor, giving alms, that was actually the main one. So they are the three expressions that people are predominantly observing um, and these are something that Jesus is actually going to start dismantling in chapter 6. Let me show you how Jesus does this. Matthew 6 verse 1 says this, Be careful, Jesus speaking again, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then Jesus starts talking about hypocrisy. Now, when he starts talking about hypocrisy, he's actually going back to the old Greek theatres where you'd have an actor come up and you wouldn't be able to see the actor's face because the actor would wear a mask. And whether or not the, the actor was happy or sad or angry, you actually just saw the... You, you couldn't see the face behind the mask, right? That's what Jesus is doing when he's talks, talking about hypocrisy. Guess what are the three things that Jesus has a big crack at when he starts talking about this hypocrisy? Well, let me tell you. Matthew 6, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, or when you give alms, right? Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, right? Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, and on the street corners to be seen by others. 6 verse 16. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Surely I tell you they've received their reward. The three main expressions for the Pharisaic Righteousness Project is prayer, fasting, giving alms. Beginning of chapter 6, what's Jesus going after? Prayer, fasting, giving alms. He's trying to make a point about our external stuff, isn't he? There's something about looking righteous and religious external that seems to be um, cutting against the grain of this kingdom of heaven project that's happening right now. In 2021, we have a huge window that exposes the hypocrisy of the church right now. It is called social media. There is a reason. Our church does a lot of good things. But you won't see me putting on social media. Because there is a danger in actually presenting our righteousness up front for everyone to see. Because there is a danger that we might be a bunch of hypocrites. And we put like, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Is that step on anyone's toes? It's not me, it's the Lord. But, but I think that's a huge window because we do things and we want the rest of the world to know. And that's part of what Jesus is talking about when he is dismantling this Pharisaic righteousness project. And I dare say there might be some righteousness projects that the Lord is wanting to dismantle with the church because there is something beautiful about the church doing things in secret. There is something wonderful about the church doing things in hiddenness. There is something remarkable. For me, sometimes people come to me and say, oh, Dave, look at that person, what that person is doing. I actually turn to them and say, you know what? That's just ordinary Christian behavior. 
There is nothing exceptional about that because if you are part of the new community, if you're part of this true humanity, our life is supposed to be defined by this word cruciformity where we are supposed to be pouring our lives out because our risen saviour Jesus Christ, who is the pioneer of our faith, he died on the cross and he poured himself out. So there is a danger for us in that sometimes we want our righteous deeds to be seen by other people. And I would just encourage you, if we ever get into that boat, and I guess we all do because we're very, very vulnerable as humans, that when we come into that point where we want other people to see how righteous and how good we are, then maybe we should just maybe take a step back and say, Lord, I am just so happy to do this in hiddenness so that my reward comes from you because I don't necessarily want my reward to come from other people. Does that make sense? I think that's actually a, a, a big thing. But you know what? That's for a later month. Chapter 6. We're nowhere near there. All right? That's just a little bit of a taster. I don't know if I'm going to lose people from this church by going through Sermon on the Mount or we're going to gain people. <laughs> for the, from next week, we're going to begin this journey of looking at six examples that Jesus uses which are outworked from Matthew 5 verse 19. Let me read that again to you. Matthew 5 verse 19 says this. Oh, by the way, did you see how like, cheeky Jesus is in dismantling the Pharisaic project just then? That's pretty cool, huh? <laughs> I just chuckle and say, man, you are just, you are the man. Obviously, you're the man. That is just so cool. Anyway, verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That sounds so random. What are you talking about? Well, what Jesus is actually doing in this verse, he's actually engaging in a contemporary religious debate that is happening at the time. It's not a religious debate that's happening in New Spring Church, but in ancient Israel, this was a religious debate that was happening with the rabbis and the scribes. And it came down to actually interpreting the laws that were given. You know, there's 10 big ones and then there's like 603 other ones. And, like, and, and, you, and you kind of like kind of thinking, okay, yeah, there's, there's a lot of laws. And, and what they're doing is that they're, they're interpreting and they're trying to grapple with the laws of God given to Israel. In most of our renderings, we have the words least or great and great, don't we? Least and greatest. In, in the original language, as Jesus was talking, he's not using the word least or great. He's using the word light and heavy. Light and heavy. The debate revolved around which of God's laws were heavy and which of God's laws were light. Light and heavy. And obviously there are some laws that you would view as heavy. I mean, the Ten Commandments, they're heavy, right? They're the heavy ones. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, honour your father and your mother. Like they're the heavy ones. But then you have some like other random like laws about like if you see a nest and a bird over there, you have to make sure like, like there, there are some random laws. And the question is like, which ones are light, which ones are heavy? Because the way that you treat light laws is different to the way you treat heavy laws. So what Jesus is actually saying in verse 19, he says, anyone who sets aside the light laws will be considered light in the kingdom. 
Anyone or whoever practices and teaches the light and heavy laws will be considered heavy in the kingdom. Jesus is pretty much pointing his finger. He's asking the question, are you a lightweight or a heavyweight? Because apparently there are some people who deem themselves as heavyweights and Jesus is saying, no, you're lightweight. And from this verse, we're going to see, um, as we kick on from next week, and I will be here next Sunday morning um, to actually start this, Jesus actually um, juxtaposes um, some examples. And there are six examples. And what Jesus does, he, he puts side by side these, um, like in each example, he juxtaposes a heavy law with a light law. Does that make sense? Verse 19, he's engaging in a debate about which laws are heavy, which are light. He says, you're either going to be a lightweight or a heavyweight. And then from that, he gives six examples, putting a contrast between a heavy law and a light law. So next week, he's going to juxtapose murder, which is heavy, and being angry with your fellow brother or sister, which seems pretty light, doesn't it? But he's going to say, they're actually the same. Then after that, he's going to be talking about adultery, heavy. And he's going to juxtapose that with lust. Doesn't seem so heavy. He's going to say, it's the same. And in so doing, he's actually drilling down to the issue, which is the issue of the heart, you see. That's why as we're going to go through these, he's going to be messing with our heart. It's going to be a renovation of the heart. And what we understand, because like for me, I've lived 41 years as a human so far, right? I know that I cannot pull up my old moral standards by my own bootstraps and, and try to live righteously. And Jesus doesn't want me to do that anyway, because then I'd just be like a Pharisee. It'd be like I'm walking around with a mask, you know? Like it's portraying like a big smile, but behind it, you have no idea what face I'm kind of pulling. Yeah, that's what he's going to be doing. So the kingdom of God is full of heavyweights, not lightweights. And Jesus is saying the way that he is interpreting the law is actually the correct way. The Pharisees, the scribes, they're accusing him of abolishing the law. And Jesus is saying, no. Nah. I'm fulfilling it. I'm upholding it. What's happened is by the way that you are living and your manipulative ways, you are the ones who are actually abolishing the laws of God. And Jesus is saying, in fact, this is what the law of God has always been about. Now, the majority of the Ten Commandments, which are um, expressed in Exodus, which are written in Exodus, they look, well, they're definitely heavy, but they sound like the external expression, okay? Most of them do. But finally, the first and the last don't. The first one says this, I'm the Lord your God, Exodus 20, verse 2 to 3, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Gee, that sounds so familiar to bless are the pure of heart. Blessed are those who don't have a divided devotion, but the devotion is just to Yahweh, to the Lord our God. You shall have no other gods 
before me. The last commandment, verse 17 of Exodus 20. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants, his ox or his donkey or anything belongs to your neighbor. Again, like, how are you going to see this stuff? This is issues of the heart. And Jesus is actually saying, like, like you're putting this great weight on this ex- the, the external, the ones that look like they're external laws, but you don't understand, you don't recognize that all that external stuff comes from the heart. When, he said, when the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods beside me, how do I know that? I don't know that. You're sitting in New Spring right now. I have no idea how many gods you're worshiping right now. I know some of you are probably like saying farewell to your eagles, God, after last night. How many times they stuff things up? Very happy. <laughs> I did think about you. I was like, oh my goodness, I've got an Essendon supporter in my church. <laughs> well done. We deserve that because we are, anyway. But, but you know what I mean? Like, I, don't, I don't know. When, when it comes to like, like coveting your, your neighbor's house, like, I don't know how many of you would like to steal my house. What's he saying? It's an issue of the heart. If there's something in your heart where you want to steal from your brother and sister, whether it be their house, whether it be their spouse, whether it be like, their, their, well, we don't have slaves or anything anymore, but like, you, you know what I mean? This is an issue of the heart. And Jesus is actually coming back to the issue of the heart. And he's actually saying the way that I'm living and I'm fulfilling and I'm interpreting the law goes back to the original. Everything comes from the issue of the heart, which is why we actually um, need God. And understand again that God's law was given to set the parameters for God's people. This is what it meant to be part of the family. This is what it meant to be in covenant with Yahweh. These laws were given so that there would be a behavior that is embodied. And all the other nations would look upon Israel and they would say, Oh my goodness, your God is so incredible. Yes, they are supposed to be a light to the nations. This is how they were supposed to be a light to the nations. But the story ends in the Old Testament that the Israel project fails miserably, people. Israel has failed. And unfortunately, it still seems to be failing. Still. So the promise is given, which is fulfilled in Jesus. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. This is what Jesus has fulfilled. That in his coming, he has actually opened up the doorway to something brand new. And he has come to such a point where the external righteousness that we so often try to display He's going deeper. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my law and I'm going to cause it to go so deep into your heart that it will bring such a transformation. There will not even be this thing in your mind, oh, I have to do this in order to please God. I have to do this. Oh, my goodness, now I have to do this. It will actually be a reorientation of the human heart. It will be a renovation of the heart that actually comes to a place where it says, it is my desire to do this for you. It is my pleasure to live this life before you. 
This is what it means to actually be the family of God. And as we move into that direction, as we are transformed and sanctified into that kind of family, the nations who are surrounding, the neighbors who are surrounding, the people who are surrounding, they should be looking upon us as the family of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, and they should be looking back in awe and wonder and saying, so that's what God's like. And that is the doorway that is open to us. And that is what it means for us to be salt and light. And that's what we're going to kick into from next week. So we're supposed to be this new community. The band can come up. I'm done. A renewed people. Outposts of the kingdom of God in enemy territory. Locations of resurrection life in the midst of death. Arenas of new creation set within the present evil age. People, a family, who follow and obey Jesus and understand that to follow and obey Jesus is to follow the law and the prophets. And as we do that, we are deemed as heavyweights in the kingdom of God. And I would dare say, the number one problem in the world today, the number one problem in the world today, if you were to look at these four verses, and again, I get these four verses are strange. And even now, some of you might be thinking, I'm new to this Christian stuff, and a lot of this stuff didn't make any sense to me. It's okay, hold on to next week, okay? These are four strange verses. But these four verses let me know that there is one big issue in the world today. There's one reason why things are falling apart today. There's one reason why things are deteriorating today. Because where we stand today, a large part of the church of Jesus Christ are lightweights. And we refuse to be heavyweights. But as we follow the teaching of Jesus, as we obey the teaching of Jesus, we will be transformed to being heavyweights in this world. Those who are a monument to the victory of God and by our presence here on earth, we administrate thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we will see the surrounding nations looking in wonder and just standing back aghast because they've suddenly seen what God is really like. And that's our vocation. Does that make sense? Let me pray and then we can go eat cake. Let them eat cake. Father, thank you for these four random verses that are hard to break down and they're actually hard to teach. But I pray that there's been enough understanding today for us to grab truth. If nothing else, may it be in our heart, Lord, that we want to be a church full of heavyweights and not lightweights. That we want to be those that by our behavior, by our family behavior, we actually demonstrate to the world, this is what you look like. This is how you love. This is your posture of love in the world. And Father, I ask that we would be a more faithful witness to that. Holy Spirit, come and change us and transform us. I pray for tonight as we come and worship that you will do what we cannot do. 
that you will come and that you would cause enough turbulence, so mindsets and attitudes and offenses and anger and, and lust and, and things that are not of your kingdom, that they will be dislodged in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that there will be a, a breaking in our freedom tonight, Father, that addictions will be just let loose in Jesus' name. Father, that strongholds will be removed. I pray for anxieties and depressions to be removed in the name of Jesus Christ. And there will be a new freedom as we dwell in your presence, as we worship, as we kneel before the King, our Maker, as our allegiance before you becomes more strong, that we would be a church full of heavyweights, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How about we stand? Let's respond to God's word and worship. And then let's um, do church more accurately by going hanging out with brothers and sisters and eating and drinking coffee. Because there will be coffee in heaven, I assure you.